Amen. I think we're missing a few folks today. <laughs> it is summertime. It is busy farming time of year, so I'm glad to see who we got today. Um, I'm glad we've joined together on this Sunday morning to worship God and to study His Word together. Uh, today we are continuing our series uh, through the New Testament. Uh, this Sunday falls on Romans chapter 12. Uh, the context of this chapter is uh, Paul's uh, discussion on Gentiles being grafted into the faith and what the mystery kind of of Israel's salvation is. And basically, for, for Paul, this wasn't a new religion. This wasn't a, uh, a, a separate form of Judaism. This was the fulfillment of what it meant to be a Jew. And what that meant was as the, those who had rejected it, him being one of them, um, rejected Christ being their Messiah, uh, they had rejected God's plan for, for Israel. And in the process of their rejection, it opened up the gospel to all the world, uh, to the Gentiles, as he describes as this wild olive branch being grafted in to the community. But he doesn't want the Gentiles to take pride in this because just as easily as they were grafted in to the family of God, so true will it be that if Israel repents that they will come back to it. Uh, but this is the context on where we're at because for those who have found faith, who have found salvation in God, it is easy to take pride that you no longer face the judgment you so justly deserved. That even though you lived in an unrighteous state, God had mercy on you. And that he forgave your sins because he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And so as he, he goes through these, this mystery and how all this stuff works, which if he struggled with trying to understand it all, how are we going to understand it today? But he does say this, verse 1 of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... He said, even in light of this mystery, I appeal to you. And based on this great mystery of how God's salva salvation works, how this salvific plan for humanity unfolded, he appeals to you. It says, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So... What do we have to give back to God? Can we work our way into His grace? No, we can't. We can't do enough good deeds to somehow earn favor in God's sight. Because God is the creator of everything, all that exists. He created you. He created your neighbor. He created all of those around this great globe. He says, if you can't work your way, how do you truly worship God for what great generosity he has bestowed on us? He said, present your body as a living sacrifice. He goes on and says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
This is how we learn to live. If you've ever learned a trade, if you've ever learned the art of farming, you, you will understand that there's only so much you can get out of books. Now, a formal education has its benefits, but we'll know that it doesn't matter how much you learn in book knowledge, until you put your hands to the plow, until you pull the weeds, until you put the, the fertilizers out, and all this stuff that you learned in the book, it will never be perfected in you. Because most education that we will find is theory. It is a theory based on human observation and what has worked in the past and, and what most likely will work in the future. But, you know, if you're a farmer, you know that what worked today may not work in the future. And so you have to make adjustments. You have to make changes because, you know, some chemicals today work great. But over time, certain weeds develop tolerances, certain bugs develop tolerances to what you put out. Or worse, the government gets in because there's something in that chemical that's toxic that you may not originally know, so they took out that. And so what you may have learned way back when, when you studied it in school, may not be applicable to you today. Paul knew that. As he says in this book, he says he was a Pharisee among ph Pharisee. He sat at the feet of great teachers. I mean, he was disciplined. He was learned. He knew the book backwards and forward. He probably could recite the Old Testament. But until he started applying it, he didn't truly understand faith. Because in his human ambition... With zeal for his faith, for his religion, he persecuted the Christians. Because what human teachers had taught him was wrong for his day. It may have had validity before Jesus. It may have pointed him to how to interpret those Ten Commandments that we are studying together in Sunday school. It may have showed him how to live a life as best he could in righteousness. But since Christ came... It was wrong. And he had to have that experience on the road to Damascus where the light shined all around him, blinding him, where he had to be led by his hand for him to come to realize what was going on. And in coming to the realization of this great mystery, he spent some time in reflection to figure out how God was working in his life. But he didn't spend all his life in solitude. He didn't become a hermit and retreat from society. When the time was right, and everything that he had learned in the past was now revealed through the lens of Jesus Christ, he went on the mission, and he wrote this letter as part of that mission. But he did it by practicing. And so for some that would hear his message, they are like, grace, we like grace, because that means that no matter what I lived in my life, I can be forgiven. But for some who are always looking for loopholes, we probably have a few of you here. Loopholes are great, you know. You avoid lots of taxes and all this kind of stuff. You know, the rich get richer and all this, you know, political garbage that you hear on TV. But loopholes, everybody wants a loophole. And so some that heard Paul's preaching heard, you are saved by grace and grace alone. Well, if I'm saved by grace and grace alone, it doesn't really matter how I live. You know, I was sinning before I was saved. Now I'm saved, so I can go on sinning. He said, that's absolutely absurd. He said, we have to reimagine our place in God's plan. So in the beginning, when God 
created earth that was good. Sin entered the world and corrupted it. Jesus Christ came as a redemption to that corruption. So if you are living in corruption and you have been lifted out of corruption, why would you go back to it? If you've been pulled out of the mire, why would you turn right back around and go in? It's like if you own pigs. If you raise them, some of you I know show them. If you get your pig all washed up ready for show, do you take it back out to its waller? No, because it'll go right back into that mud pit. That's how we live if we live according to the flesh. We go right back to our fleshly desires. And so Paul reorienting what it meant to be grafted in to, to somehow this mystery of the hardening of hearts and all this kind of stuff, how all that plays out. He therefore appeals to all those who are listening to this message. And he said, present your bodies. It is the one thing that you have. Present it as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. It is not about following the Ten Commandments because by them you will be struck down dead. We know that's how our life was before Christ entered this world. Because no one lived according to the flesh. No one lived according to the law. He just went through how Israel, who was given the law, was disobedient. How those Gentiles who were, who were not given the law were disobedient. And how both of them were deserving the righteous punishment until Jesus Christ entered the scene. He said, so if you want to live by this Christian life, you ought to present yourselves, not because you have to, not because it earns salvation, because this is the only way that you can worship God our Father. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not let culture dictate what you believe is right and wrong. Let this faith, let this Bible, let the Lord speak through you. Let Him be your right and wrong. Let Him guide and judge you. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Every time I read this, I think back to my old computer programming days. Many of you on the, the below, I don't know what date you want to put on it, but some of you younger folks don't know what computer programming was when you had floppy disk. Many of you probably came through the floppy disk days. Some of you probably came through the punch card days. But in computer programming, there was a common phrase that the teacher repeated over and over and over again. Garbage in, garbage out. The computer program was only going to do what you told it to. If you fed it bad code, bad code is what it spit out. And if you worked hard and you made sure everything was in, by the end of that semester, you got your computer to go, bing, bong, bong, And you're like, that's so cool! Now people are developing apps for your cell phone. But hey, back in the day, that was awesome because we had green dot screens and everything else. But garbage in, garbage out. If you feed off of this world what it has to offer, you are feeding your soul with the garbage that this world has. Paul says simply, transform your mind by renewal. Live in the faith. Get back on your knees and pray. These kind of things. He said, but be transformed by what God has offered you, what is good and pleasing. And part of that starts with how you live your, your life. Live it as a sacrifice unto the Lord. People should know that you are a Christian, not by what you say, but by what you do. It is by your actions you preach louder than any words. 
You can speak the correct theology. You can have the right answers. You may have the most evangelical talk. But many evangelists have failed because of sin and corruption, because of the flesh. And one incident in their lives completely destroyed ministries. One bout of failure completely destroyed it. So Paul says, don't live that way. Be transformed constantly. Be transformed into who God would call you to be. And he goes on and he talks about the gifts of grace. He talks about the greater body. In verse 4 it tells us, As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He brought us together for a reason. Because we are all been gifted differently. We've all been given opportunities to serve. You may say, I'm not the most gifted uh, speaker. I don't like praying in public. I don't like doing this. I'm not good at that. You know, there's all kind of excuses on why you can't do something. And I believe some of those excuses are legitimate. And I believe some of those are founded in right thinking. Well, that's fine. You just need to keep looking for what God has gifted you with. If it's not to teach, don't try to teach. If it's not to give, uh, uh, I don't know, just name something. If that's not what you're called to do, that might be okay. But now don't use that as an excuse because sometimes your gifts have to be developed. Just like a mason, the first time he ever tries to lay a brick, it's probably not going to be straight until he learns how to first lay the mortar on in the right consistency so when he pushes it down and he has that string line across that he can get everything right. Because if you don't put enough mortar on the brick, it will never be the same level as the rest of them. That comes with practice. Practice comes with doing. You can read in the book how you have to put so much for this, but until you figure out in your hand what that so much is, you'll never get it straight. But we all have been gathered together as one body. It says, having many gifts, in verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. God's grace has given us what we need. But some of us aren't using them. He says, if prophecy in the proportion of your faith, if in service in, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhort in his exhortations, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Sometimes when uh, pastor search committees are looking for that next perfect pastor because they found a vacancy, they start listing all these things. They, they want their, their leader to have all of these assets. And you sometimes, if you're smart and your committee goes to and has kind of a mentor to guide them through the process, they'll ask them, well, list what you want your pastor to do. And then they say, well, how many hours or how many minutes do you think it'll take them in a given week to do these things? And then what they'll find is at the end of the, this discussion that their pastor has to work 48 hours a day, nine days a week. <laughs> Doesn't add up very well, does it? But your pastor is a leader and a teacher. But it doesn't mean he covers every single basis. That's why there's a church. 
Because all of us were gifted to service. We are, we are gifting the gifts by grace. We are told to use them. That's how we work together as a body. All of us in service. All of us working together for the mission of this church. When some of us who have been given grace to do certain things withhold that from the body, we withhold that from the body. I'm reminded of a time I smashed this little finger. This one right here. Cleaning a part. Quick accident. It's one of those ones that uh, you're just going to clean something in the bench grinder real quick. You know, just take a few minutes, put it back together, you're good to go. I'm sure you farmers have, have done these things. You didn't grab your gloves like you're supposed to. You didn't have the vice like you normally set up. It's just a little part, right? Well, that little part caught in the, the grinder, spun it around, and I hit so hard I look like this. And they go, okay, my finger's still there. Step one over. Instantly black. You know, I couldn't sleep for three nights after that because my whole hand throbbed because of all the pressure. The molder's daughter can confirm with you that I finally went and saw the doctor so they could relieve the pressure. You know what I did? I passed out right there in the chair. <laughs> the kind nurse... Uh, gracefully exited my daughter because she was with me for some reason. I'm not real sure why. And then called my wife. He's like, you need to come pick him up. No, he's not driving home. <laughs> <laughs> but when one part, no matter how insignificant you think that part is, is affected by either not contributing or is suffering on their own, none of it works together like it's supposed to. Those little minor uh, cuts, if left unattended, can lead to infection. And a little scrape on your leg can poison your blood. And if that is left the case, it can destroy the whole body. And then so Paul goes on, he says, Let your love be generous, be genuine. Ahoard what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Make it a competition of doing right. Do not be slothful. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, saints and seek to show hospitality. I like this one. Never be wise in your own sight. Is that one an easy one to do? Never be wise in your own sight. There is a humbleness of the faith. Because in our humanity, when we try to make the decisions, we, we sorely go off course. For the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul the Zealot, who had all the fervor for the faith, and he was wise and he knew what to do, and even in seeking permission to the authorities to do what he thought was best, Ended up persecuting the plans that God had laid out before him, even holding the coats while they stoned Stephen to death, issuing warrants for others. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Don't be the one that causes the trouble. But Paul admits that trouble may find you, and if you're a Christian, it most likely will. But don't pick a fight just for the sake of picking a fight. Now, I've looked at social media. There's some people who are pretty good about picking a fight. You can post certain articles and share certain memes that you know it's going to pick a fight. 
Those kind of people you need to just take off of your social media accounts. Or you'll live as a life of anxiety and stress and worry. But it says live peaceable when we can live peaceable. When certain laws and stuff come up, people worried about all the ramifications that laws will pass. But I can guarantee you this, if you live a life according to the Scripture, if you love those who persecute you and you offer assistance and genuine love, things will be different no matter what laws are on the books. And I love how he wraps up this section. He says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil. Do not let the problems of this world, those around you, dictate how you live. Because too many times, and I myself I'm guilty, that everything will be going great. You're doing what God has called you to do. You're, you're walking by faith. And then somebody will attack you. Maybe a slide comment, maybe a criticism that you weren't planning. You could have had the most wonderful day and everything seemed to go right. And then one comment can ruin that. Let's do the math. One minute of the day, probably less than that, for a piece of criticism to change the course of your life. And you're going to have to do the math because I didn't before. 24 hours a day, most of that went well. One minute of your day. Guess what? That one minute of the day can affect you the rest of that one, the next day, the next week. And for some, that one minute can affect them for years. I know family members who don't speak because of an inheritance squabble. One part of their relationship with that sibling. One critical moment. One week of time. Led to utter separation for the rest of their days. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't be overcome when bad things happen to you. When evil things happen to you. When things that are inconsistent with the good that is around you happens to you. Don't be overcome by that. The only way you can overcome evil and bad things when they happen to you is by letting good rule in your life. So if that one criticism came and you let it ruin your week, you're letting it have power over you. If somebody did something to you and you're mad about it and you're dwelling on it, and you live that life, and every time you see this person, you're like, I can't stand that person because they did such and such. What they did is having power over you, and you are letting it control you. And more than likely, if you ever confront that person about what they did, especially if it was months ago, years ago, they probably won't have a clue of what you're talking about. Because for them, they were exercising power over you that they didn't even know they were doing. So easily we can get in this trap. So easily we can fall and let this world dictate how we live. Paul says, live your life 
as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And in so living, you can have power over this world. When the darkness around you tries to snuff out your light, you can let your light shine brighter and brighter because it is Christ who lives in you. It is Christ who gives you strength. It is Christ who has given you your gifts. And it is the body where we can, un- where we can share these gifts to the world. But all of us were given different gifts for the service of his kingdom. Don't think your gift is minor because we need every one of them if we're going to be a part of God's vision for this world. Please join with me. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious heavenly Father, we are so thankful for these words of scripture that you try our hearts each day and that you point us to the truth that if we are living our lives according to your will, we will find the satisfaction that comes with the power that you live inside of us. But Lord, when we let this world control us through the evil that is so prevalent, we are given in to this world's demands. But you have given us a way to be above that, to be above the evil that surrounds us. And the way to overcome all that evil through the goodness that you have given to us and the strength that you have called us to be part of your body. It is in your name we pray. Amen.